Hey everyone, welcome to uh, Escape from Plan A. This is uh, your host, Teen. Special episode, got, it's, uh, I got a hurricane coming in, so everyone's just like chilling at home. Thought I'd throw, do a, try to do a few pods this weekend. Special guest, Xiang uh, Yu, who has been on a couple times before. Xiang Yu, man, it's been a while. How have you been? Yeah, great. Um, good to be back. How have you been? I've been all right. I've been all right. Um, you want to? I mean, you've been on a couple times. I think most people are pretty familiar with you. But you want to just give a brief intro? What you're up to? What you've been doing? What I'm up to? Um, yeah. Uh, working on my next album. Also, um, I'm also working on um, a Korean War series um, on you know Carl Zaz Silk and Steel podcast. It's um it's gonna be it's we we basically got episodes zero and one down already. Oh, but nice. they're not unlocked yet for um for his wider audience. They're right now they're only for his paid page um his paid patrons, but okay. um that'll be unlocked at some point. And mm-hmm. um it's gonna be about the Korean War from the Chinese perspective. So yeah, I'm just like some kind of, I I guess I'm a um amateur political commentator and of sorts, and I like to um go on shows and just share share my knowledge of topics I'm a little bit more familiar with. So a lot of times you'll see me posting about on um, like cross strait issues, cross strait being like mainland China and Taiwan and the history behind that. And just some of the nuances to get people to understand why certain people think certain ways about certain topics, not really telling you what to believe, but to provide the background information so you can form your own opinions, though I do have my own opinions. You know? Yeah, it was good. It's good to because uh, you were off Twitter for a little bit. And I was like, "Damn, I miss Shang Yu, man." <laughs> it's good to have you back on Twitter. Uh, you're, 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 it's good to, it's good to, uh, yeah. it's good to get your like, uh, see your tweets in the behaving. timeline, get your retweets and stuff. Always yeah. good to have people. Um, I've been behaving so I don't get like kicked off again. Yes, you have been, but <laughs> I've noticed you've toned it down a little bit. But the content's still good. And uh, first time guest Rob Kajiwara joining us from uh, Hawaii, but. Rob is uh, someone I've followed on on Twitter for for quite some time, and he, Rob, you 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 talk a lot online about um, Okinawa, Okinawan identity and history, uh, as well as um, you know the the effects of empire, particularly um, the U.S. and Japan and and all that. And I I just found it super interesting because I'm not very familiar with that. So first time you and I have been talking with, I've been following me for a while. You want to just uh, say what's up to everyone and maybe give a little brief intro before we get to the topic of the day. Yeah. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm Rob Kajiwara. I'm native Luchuan, also known as Uchinanchu or Okinawan. Um, I'm president of the Peace for Okinawa Coalition headquartered in Okinawa City. We also maintain an extension office in Honolulu. Um, I'm a uh, graduate student at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. My petition to stop the illegal construction of the new military base at Hinoko, Okinawa has over 212,000 signatures on it. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for joining, man. And um, yeah, well, I mean, I want to talk, I do want to talk at some point, hopefully, um, specifically about Okinawa and the U.S. military occupation there. I think uh, that's a big topic, though. Um, yeah, but hopefully we can cover that. But the reason uh, I thought the two of you uh, would make like this would be a good talk was because Rob, you reached out to me because like I've just been on this tear recently on Twitter about cultural appropriation because I think 
it's a it's a shitty debate online. I think both sides kind of have it wrong. You see a lot of Asian Americans, I think, are very, very, very sensitive about white people appropriating Asian culture. And I had kind of looked at it and thought, you know, to some extent, I'm not sure the Asian Americans are I'm sympathetic to it. I'm Asian American. Obviously, I was born in America. Um, that's my primary identity, I guess. Uh, but I think it was clear to me, having thought about this for a while, that it's not just white people who appropriate Asian culture. I think it's pretty clear at this point that a lot of Asian Americans uh, also do that. We also appropriate Asian identity. And it goes often beyond, you know, just simple things like, you know, putting out a Chinese cookbook or something like that. Um, but even more than that, deeper is passing ourselves as genuine, authentic examples or representatives um, of our sort of like home countries or our countries of origin or some might say ancestral countries or however Asian Americans want to describe it. Um, but for example, like a Korean American um, will generally be seen in America as an authentic and almost sort of official representation of Korea, of Korean identity, and are given sort of uh, extra credibility in that regards. And I think are often, um, you know, I think that can be quite damaging. Anyway, that was my take on it. You guys reached out to me, or uh, Rob reached out to me. Shangyu, you sort of pregame, we were just discussing this a little bit. And you brought that tweet up too. So I just want to kick off, get your thoughts on it a little bit. Shangyu, do you want to just start off? Because I think you had brought up the tweet. I don't know if you have particular thoughts about cultural appropriation, but it seems like this is also an issue that kind of frustrates you sometimes. Well, I think um, the whole thing about cultural appropriation is, I mean, it does exist, but a lot of times when liberals take these sorts of things, they try to, um, they kind of remove it and kind of analyze things in a vacuum and divorce them from material reality. Mm. And um, sometimes um, the forces at play, they look at things very, um, very superficially. So it's like, oh, a white person does this. So that it's kind of like that, um, that, that Filipino idiot, that um, Rosalind. Talusan. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that person, like seeing like some British woman, like making a cookbook about noodles. What, what was the subtitle of the book? It's like, um, like, um, it was like, it was like noodles and gyoza and ramen. Uh, like, Biang and yeah, whatever. Like very, and like, everything fun, in between. White people friendly food exports, you know, let's say that. Yeah, and then um, she was just like, um, she, she, like making a big deal out of it, and but the, but but the thing is like, well, this this woman, she, I mean, it's like it's like, do why are the why is Rosalind a Filipino American, a Filipino Canadian, like getting offended on let's say like, okay, so I guess some and from the subtitle alone, there are like some Chinese dishes, there are some Japanese dishes. She is neither Chinese nor Japanese. Why is she getting offended on Chinese people and Japanese people's behalves? If these liberals are so obsessed with like lane politics and staying in her lane, then why isn't she staying in her lane and not worrying about you know stuff that, by her logic, only concerns Chinese people and Japanese people? It's like um she's. And arguably more foreign to China than the author of that cookbook, because the author in the cookbook has like studied culinary arts in China and worked with um, a bunch of local chefs to like kind of um, develop and perfect um, her own recipes, you know? Yeah, though, I think I mean, I, I do think that I felt that a lot of people were going into that conflict, that specific event and 
trying to use it as a way to show because like, I mean Rosalind was so over the top with it. I think she got really ratioed and and, and people really weren't taking her side on it. Uh, both Asian and white people or whoever. And I thought that a lot of people who were jumping in though were using her as a way to discredit the concept of cultural appropriation altogether. And yeah, I thought that, that that was getting it wrong. I thought the problem was that Rosalind's formulation of cultural appropriation, like you said, was very superficial, very superficial, very liberal in, in an abstract way. Like you said, it wasn't connected to what actually happens in real life. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think in real life and Rob, maybe you could talk a little bit about your experience dealing with Okinawan Americans and the extent to which they do or do not understand um, Okinawa um, and how that can be like how Asian Americans ourselves uh, often uh, do something akin to a cultural appropriation and in, in, and start uh, uh, obfuscating sort of the truth of what's really going on or what's really happening in the real world. You know, does that, have you had that experience with Okinawan Americans? Cause it kind of, kind of sounded like you were uh, asking me about, <laughs> Hey, do you, did you really mean that about Asians? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Asian, Asian Americans. Yeah. Yeah. So when I saw that tweet of yours, I, I thought that was very interesting. I had never um, heard that before. I don't think, especially think Rob is uh, not coming from an Asian American. Um, and, um, uh, well, um, in the work I do for Okinawa, um, we often receive a lot of messages from Okinawan Americans and other Asian Americans, but especially Okinawan Americans. Um, a lot of the messages we receive, um, they are messages of support or, uh, thanks and, and things like that, but, um, we also receive a lot of messages, uh, well, hate messages or uh, messages saying, uh, stop, stop doing what you're doing. Uh, don't criticize the U.S. military. Don't uh, don't talk about Okinawan independence and things like that. Uh, again, this is coming um, from some uh, Okinawan Americans. OK, uh, sorry, we just had to work out a little bit of technical issue. So you were saying, uh, Rob, that you get. A lot of supportive messages from Okinawan Americans, but you also get some hate messages. And I was like, "Why would you get hate messages?" And I'm just wondering, like, what's the nature of that? Like, what what do you do? You know what sparks that, and what are they saying to you? Yeah, so we do receive quite a few hate messages um, from Okinawan Americans and and some other Asian Americans, Um, just saying things like, uh, "Well." They're kind of ordering us not to criticize the U.S. military or not to support Okinawan independence or things like that. Um, we also receive a lot of hate about China. Um, things like, oh, why don't you guys criticize China? If you guys care about um, Okinawan human rights, uh, uh, what about China? Why don't you uh, right. criticize China and and, and what they're um their stance, uh, you know, in Hong Kong and Taiwan and, and Xinjiang, uh, you know, things like that. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's unfortunately what do you would, would you say the majority of the stuff you get is 
supportive with a minority of that kind of hate stuff or is it the other way or i would the... say um among okinawan americans it's roughly 50 50. Yeah. we do okay. have um a huge overwhelming support within okinawa itself we also have very strong support among okinawans in south america but it's specifically mm -hmm. okinawan americans where it's much more divided it's i would say it's roughly 50 50. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't find that terribly... I mean, I actually find 50-50 to be better than I expected. Because I, I get the feeling... I mean, obviously, this has something to do with um, American attitudes about ourselves and the role that our military plays and sort of this commitment to the idea that the U.S. is really a peacekeeping force, that we're out there in Asia to, uh, to maintain the rules-based order, that we're there to protect... Uh, you know, commerce and the freedom of navigation in international waters. We're basically like the good cop of Asia. And if it weren't for us, you know, China would basically just be, be a, some sort of like local hegemonic warlord, I think is the sort of like overall message that the U.S. State Department and the Pentagon wants to project. And when they want to do that, it sort of becomes an official line and it becomes very difficult, I think, in America, which is a heavily, as you know, is a heavily propagandized uh, society to maintain any sort of opposition to that. And as Asian faced people in America, I think a lot of us, especially now, and, you know, there's a lot of like anti-Asian hate crime going that that's been escalating a lot. There's a lot of racial feelings about what's going on. I think COVID has been associated with China, the China virus, and, and po potentially something that, that, that China had done to us is the, is, the, is the theory of a lot of people, which I think is bullshit. But um, yeah, 50-50 honestly sounds pretty good to me uh, because I don't know. I mean, for me, it's, I, I'm starting to feel like it is more and more anathema to a lot of Asian Americans to be sympathetic uh, to any reality that shines like a better light on, you know, either say like, uh, you know, a hated, you know, a hated rival or enemy like China or North Korea, Shang, you may, you may know about that a lot, um, or anything that puts a negative light on the United States. And that would include what we have been doing in, in Okinawa for a long time, you know? Yeah. Um, Shangyi, you have this experience when you're talking about like North Korea and stuff and the DPRK? Um, especially among certain Korean Americans. Mm -hmm. They'll say things like, um, they'll, you hear a lot of ignorance because let's, let's face it, a lot of times these people, um, especially in recent, in more recent years, you know, in the past, you have a lot of Asian Americans who did their best to just kind of. Um, be seen as regular American and kind of downplay their um, Asianness, but now um, in certain like um, ra radical liberal circles, like you know, like more like kind of, you know what I mean, like the whole establishment Democrat leaning parts of um, academia and whatever activist circles, um, not being white gives you, um, for lack of a better term, woke points. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it kind of expands you your useful tool set you know or you're yeah there, there are but, ways that can help you for sure it gives you woke points but only if you do not seriously challenge u.s imperialism in any way 
Yeah, I mean, you can go from useful Asian person to like crazy enemy. enemy Asian person very quickly if you say yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So then, um, you know, you have a lot of these people who are um actually quite ignorant about their own country's histories, and um, but then they have this sort of mentality where it's like, oh, because um because I am of this identity, then that means people should listen to me on this issue, um, regardless of my own credentials and my own um, my own knowledge. Like, I never go around saying, oh, listen to me about issues of Taiwan just because I'm from Taiwan. I'll tell you, like, okay, like, I have these views. Like, I'll tell you, like, where I get my information from and, like, let you decide what to believe and how you want to make sense of what I'm presenting, you know? So then, um, like, um, y- you know that cursed group, um, Subtle Asian Traits? Yeah, you know, like Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And then there yeah. was like this other my my friend added me to um subtle Korean traits. I mean, I don't really go around saying I'm Korean, but I mean my um my dad's from the um Chinese diaspora in Korea, the um Hwagyo community or in I guess in Chinese Hwachao. And um there were just a lot of ignorant comments because um in that in that group, um I, I like if you just try to be a little bit political, they'll be like, Well, you know, I'm actually not a fan of either like the US or North Korea, but you're defending blah 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 human <laughs> yeah. rights, human rights abuses and blah blah blah. And then like, you know what what's even worse? It's um then like some persons because like they don't understand like Hwagyo or Hua Chao, mm-hmm. these people are um Chinese people who moved to Korea at some point and their descendants. Right. So it's like my grandfather moved to Korea and then he couldn't go back to Korea. He he couldn't go back to China at the end of the korean war because he happened to be in the south when the war broke out and he couldn't go back mm. and um but then the south korean government didn't recognize um his like didn't at the time didn't recognize um children of um foreign like chinese men as korean so then they became chinese citizens but the chinese government they recognized did he like the, serve in the war or something or no no he didn't serve in the war okay no but um mm-hmm. so then like and then there's also you know there's um Chaoxianzu or um who, who are um kind of like the reverse they're like um they're um they're Korean they're um they're ethnic or national they're um part of the Korean national minority in China. So then mm. like their their families started migrating from from Korea to China as early as like I'd say on that the nineteenth century and like um until like around nineteen forty five and then they stayed there and then their descendants so like um had Kim Il sung not returned to Korea and he stayed in China and then he had like kids in China, they would they would have been considered um or so like, they get these mixed up it's like the the, the south the um korean americans get these mixed up so they're like yeah um you know you um you chinese koreans are um all the same like you, you guys helped um y- y- you guys helped um north korea invade us during the war and then you go back but then now that we're rich you guys come and work as um work and try to freeload off of us and get rich off of us so you can send money back to china and it's just like that's the most ignorant shit i've ever heard not just on many just on many counts because one that's not um like huagyo are not part of that like community you got it completely backwards and second of all those people those um like chinese like the ethnic koreans from china like they go to they go to south korea they get they get treated like shit they're not there to freeload and like that's like exactly what like um you know like right wing um Americans say about um like um Latinos like undocumented Latino workers you know what I mean? That's my favorite line of all is the I I'm not taking a side <laughs> like um I I don't support either side here you know and which is kind of like and I was t- talking to you on Twitter kind of over this because I think it's uh it's kind of bullshit but um oh wait did Rob just uh, mute out? Uh, I think it's kind of bullshit because it's like... No, he's you know, raising his hand. Yeah. What does that mean? That means he wants to say something. Oh, okay. Hey, Rob. 
well, are you? Yeah, well, I, 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 uh, I just thought it was interesting what you, what you just said about how um, some Asian Americans say they're they're not taking a side, right? They uh, because I hear that a lot from uh, from yeah. many Okinawan yeah. Americans saying uh, they don't want to choose a side either Okinawa or or the U.S. That they want to try to stay out of the whole military issue. Um, but of course, uh, uh, that stance is very problematic, and, and I, I think you were about to say why, right? No, yeah. I, well, one, I think it's it's uh, impossible to stay uh, out of it in the sense that, like, there is a real conflict going on, like particularly in like the you know this long struggle against this this military occupation there. It's real. It's happening. What do you mean you're not taking a side? What does that mean? I'm not taking a side. I mean, not taking a side just means like I'm fine. You're with okay what's with going the status on. quo. Exactly. exactly. You're taking the yeah. side of the power. That's of of the of you're taking the side of the power of power. Yeah. You're taking the side uh, of the per, of the side that has the power. Yeah. Right. The, they don't need the, your support. The U.S. military needs you to not think about what's going on. Exactly. The military needs you to not take a side, and it's the it's it's the people who. Uh, want their goddamn island back that are like, no, you need to take a side here. This is a clear conflict. You can't just walk by and pretend that nothing's happening. So I think this, yeah, I think the, you know, Shang Yu had said that this is a very, abs- this liberal, liberals have a tendency to be very abstract and, and avoid material realities. And I think what Rob's pointing out there is a great example of that. Can I um, bring up um, something I just remembered? Because um, I mentioned the subtle Korean traits or sudden. Oh, there's also a subtle Asian activist group. Yeah. Just one of. So um, two years ago, I was helping two of my Cuban friends um, go to China and like work there. So um, I, I created a fundraiser to help them just raise some funds for like, um, you know, plane ticket and just some like money f- to get settled. You know, like I, 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 I personally, obviously, like pitched in but it would have just been easier if i just had a fundraiser and um thankfully like a lot of people were very um enthusiastic about helping out on um, people in need and um so i posted this i just posted it everywhere i could i posted it on um on like twitter i on twitter on instagram and then on on facebook and also in these like groups where i felt people might be sympathetic and basically what i just kind of wrote in the gofundme was hey um these people are from cuba and because of um U.S. imperialist sanctions, their their situation is not very well. And like as people who are like, you know, in America, the least we can do to kind of help with the situation is to just like help directly like some Cuban people directly affected by these sanctions. So then they could go abroad and help make money and then just send money back, send them remittances back, which will help the situation, even just if just a little bit, you know. And on this one, this one guy on this one Korean American fucker wrote comments he, he first he drops a foreign policy link like foreign policy the news outlet yeah and then he wrote feel like it's not fair to only blame external factors to this issue also yeah. i feel like using an online platform originating from the imperialist country just 90 miles north and begging a group that's significantly composed of citizens of that country and allies like we can have this fundraiser without maligning anyone not meaning to imply by any means that the U.S. is blameless or anywhere near perfect. Lastly, I'm troubled by our use of the term solidarity. It's fine to ask humans to help humans. I'm all for that. However, your attitude in this post implies a communist imperialist dichotomy, the framework of which I don't want to be forced to take a side. Meaning, if a hypothetical person were to donate, it would be unfortunate if it were construed as pro-communist 
anti-imperialist solidarity because of the sort of rhetoric the fundraiser uses. Furthermore, I wish you'd edit out that last spit about solidarity for another reason. Again, nothing wrong with fundraising and hoping to draw upon others' resources to help fellow humans. However, in the past, you've conveyed an attitude that condones certain regimes and either endorsing or overlooking what I consider human rights violations. This is not the sort of attitude I wish to convey solidarity with, and I hope others feel the same. Nothing wrong with your fundraiser per se, but why don't you edit out the sloganeering for another more political post? It's like, that's a lot to say for just saying, I don't want to donate, you know? Yeah. Like what, you know, there's a, the part that struck me was, uh, I don't agree with this communist versus imperialist framing. So I'm wondering like, would they agree with it? If instead of calling it, imp- I don't know if the word imperialist like offends him or something, but could we say communist versus West or communist versus what? Uh, because there cu- clearly is the history of the modern world clearly is that there has been uh, some sort of struggle there. What about aggressor and victim? Yeah. Like I, you know, I mean, even taking that out, like, is he saying that there's just no such conflict? Do you know what I mean? And that Cuba is not part of that conflict, you know, like, you know, uh, I think that's what I'm curious about is like, when they say I'd rather, you know, I don't like the way it's been framed as, you know, uh, you know, us versus them or whatever. And that goes against the, I guess he's trying to suggest that goes against the spirit of solidarity as if what we're really trying to do here is have a moment of kumbaya. He's just uh, shit lib and he, he um, just routinely targeted my posts because I've spoken like in favor of um, just in favor of um, the DPRK's solid um, sovereignty and its right to defend itself from um, U.S. imperialism, and that mm. um, first there's primary contradictions and secondary contradictions. And right now, um, the main thing that's really hurting the people there and really just kind of just putting their country in a bad situation are is um, U.S. aggression, U.S. political sanctions, um, economic sanctions. Um, you know, military encirclement, et cetera. Rob, do you get similar kinds of messages when it comes to, you know, the hate messages uh, that you get from Okinawan Americans? Are they saying stuff like, you know, well, you just said that they like to say stuff like, I don't like, I don't want to take sides. But what are they, what's their reasoning? Like, do they, they, they must know of the, the numerous, let's say problems that, uh, that the U.S., base is it called futenma is that the one is that the well, large base in mm-hmm. uh futenma is one of them but there's actually many bases oh, um, I see. okay yeah it's not just one there's there's a lot of uh, military bases all across the luchu islands um and especially on okinawa island but but oh, yeah okay. um i mean it's not like these okinawan americans are unaware they they generally know uh the problems that um, Okinawans face. Um, it's just that they don't care because many of them profit from the U.S. military or the U.S. government. Many of them work um, either for the military or for the government or as a, a contractor. Um, and so that's why they're, they're not going to criticize. And that's why they say, oh, I don't want to take a side. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, it's not like these are two equal players here. Uh, there's a huge power difference, right? The U, the United States uh, um, uh, is is uh, a huge superpower. For a long time, it was a hegemon. 
I don't think it is anymore, but it's still a superpower. Okinawa, on the other hand, we have 1.4 million Okinawans in Okinawa. We have around 2.1 million Okinawans worldwide total. So we're far too small as a nation uh, compared to the United States or Japan for that matter. Um, uh, we, we, we also don't have uh, the financial power. We have no uh, military, of course. We have no weapons. We can't uh, defend ourselves. Uh, so, yeah, it goes back to this huge power, um, power dynamic, power uh, difference between the U.S. and Okinawa. Yeah, because in both cases that you guys are talking about, I mean, this person who claims to not be taking a side is specifically attacking you guys. And I doubt, for example, like, you know, if in the case of, let's say, an Okinawan American that's serving in the military, I doubt that they would send a similar message to like their commanding officer or their boss at, you know, Booz Allen or whatever, saying, oh, whoa, 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 hey, you know, the stuff we're doing here, I don't really want to take a side. <laughs> I don't think they're really saying that to their bosses. You know what I mean? Like, right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess. It's not surprising to me that that would happen. I mean, after all, Asian Americans are Americans and, uh, you know, Americans are going to American, you know, it is rare, I think, for I guess one ups one hopeful side is like if if it really is 50 50 uh, with Okinawan Americans and they're doing pretty well, I think, number wise, because I get the feeling day to day that most Asian Americans are going to fall in the, in, in favor of just like blindly supporting, um, blindly supporting the U S uh, and not even really know, like cho choosing to make, remain willfully ignorant about what's going on. That might be more the case Shangyu, with something like with, with something like the DPRK, because like Okinawa, I think, in America, in, in the U.S., we still like to we still we just throw Okinawa into the Japan bucket, and we generally have a pretty favorable view of Japan. So it's more like an act of omission. It's an act of like just sort of blind ignorance. Whereas I think DPRK is like more open hostility, and do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's a meaningful difference, but it's really like just the way, you know, I was watching TV re like just now, like before this pod. And then I saw a documentary that they're trying to promote about Sandra O. Oh, and I'm like, it just reminded me about like how every Asian American actor of a certain stature, eventually you will find them in something either on Saturday Night Live or in some movie like The Dictator where they have to they have to play yellow face as an Asian American playing yellow face, putting on a fake accent and doing some ridiculous, you know, caricature of North Koreans, of Kim Jong-un or his sister or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know. I just find it's like, do we not, does a Sandra, like to me, it's like, does a Sandra O oh understand what she's doing or like a Randall park. Does he understand that Fuck it's that not man. just about, and here's the thing. It's not just the accent. It's not just the sort of like the, you know, the Mickey Rourke or oh, Harold kind of thing. That's offensive, <laughs> but it is like political. It's, it's, it's the act of propaganda. 
Do you know it what is. I mean? There's, that... um, there's many layers to that because mm-hmm. on one on one end, it's um, I mean, in the past when um, when you know, like white people wanted to portray um, black people in a in a very um char- caricaturized way and like very demeaning and very um just dehumanized way, they would get like white people to put on blackface. And I'm not saying that's that's right or that's better or worse. It's it's very despicable. It's disgusting. But it's like nowadays they don't even need to do that with like Asian people. They just need to find like some sellout like Randolph Park or Sandra Oh who's willing to just who has no self respect. And the thing is, um, you know what's sad is these people don't realize what they're doing. They 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 try to frame what they're doing as um like standing up against totalitarianism and um defending freedom and democracy because they're mocking a um what what they believe to be a despot. But I mean, at the same time, it's do you think racists really do you do you think racists really know how to differentiate between like let's say um like somebody like Kim Jong Un and um the guy who's I don't know like who you see in the supermarket like if it, you know what I mean sorry um I, I had to go deal with some bullshit so I I wasn't listening to what you were saying earlier yeah <laughs> no it's fine no I'm just like I'm thinking um. <sighs> You know, it's it's just easy to say. I think Asian Americans are very focused on like interpersonal, uh, you know, being offended and being racially marginalized, and that's all important. I'm not you know, like that's an important thing. Do right? you know what I think? Mm-hmm. I think the, the people who are like obsessed with that sort of stuff, they they're bananas in denial. They um banana means um yellow on the outside, white on the inside. So like until more recently, like you know now now being um, now being not white is like will get you um a certain degree of woke points in certain circles right but then like but then but then like their approach to everything isn't like actually understanding different cultures or their own culture but rather just from a position of like catharsis on the individual level by uh, performatively expressing white guilt and it's just kind of it's it's kind of like don't you don't you feel that that's kind of just what a lot of them are doing when it comes to calling this sort of shit out I do, but I also think that there is a filter for like who actually comes to America, you know. And, oh yeah, yeah. And I think part of it is um, like I think we're going to see this with Afghanistan right now, like happening in real time. Like, like who are we going to allow to come over here, you know, as um, as a as a as a refugee from uh, uh, from the Taliban? I mean, it's going to be people that were working with us that we that pass our background checks that pass some sort of like test I, we don't know what the test is but there's going to be a test to see like okay who which of these people do we actually want in the country you know mm-hmm. and i think they're going to look a lot into your background and you know like who you really are i'm reading this like article in the la times about randall park who like after you know the, the or sorry not the not the dictator it was called the was it called the interview the interview um, yeah the interview yeah and like he started backtracking against that movie because later he you know because it 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 was so stupid and so bad that like it even had a bad reputation within America. And so now he kind of wants to backtrack. And um, he said like, I was super excited to do it, but I was a little nervous about it and felt like my parents would be a good way for me to test if this was okay. They're immigrants and they understand what's going on over there a little better than I do. And as soon as I brought it up to them, they thought it was hilarious. So I mean, I'm going to take him at his word, but he's saying, look, 
even as an Asian American, when I looked at this, you know, you want me to do this yellow face racial caricature of Kim Jong-un, I feel that's racist. Let me ask my immigrant parents about it. They know what's going on in Korea better than me. And they heard, you know, I broke it down for them and they thought it was hilarious. And I'm thinking that... that But do they understand mainstream American culture? Because keep in mind, these immigrants, um, especially if you're not like in the STEM crowd, crowd, Mm -hmm. if they're like just more working class parents... Like they're they live in the periphery of U.S. society, so they might not understand the full implications of everything. And no, they maybe probably didn't understand stupid. the full implications, but I think that they probably were kind of like, oh, if you're going to clown on North, I mean, I'm just guessing here. I could be wrong, of course, but from what I'm reading about what he said, it was kind of like, yeah, I, I'm going to clown on uh, Kim Jong Un for a movie, and they thought that that was hilarious. And now that's kind of what he. I guess my point is, it's not it's not necessarily just the uh, banana second gen you know second gen asian american that's not totally unaware of what's going on but they make things worse we do make things worse but i think we're starting from a base where a lot of the peop- the asians who came here were selected i think specifically and the ones who stayed like who came and then stayed i think specifically because we have they had often very pro american uh anti communist feelings you know, and that's. Uh, I think it's really hard to generalize. That's certainly the case. With, it depends on certain Im- immigration waves. That's mm-hmm. certainly true. But um, in, I would say with the community I grew up in, that that was generally true. I mean, yeah. I grew up around like um, like they, they were mostly like in the Chinese restaurant crowd, and they weren't yeah. like too like political. They were just trying to get by. So right, right. You know. Yeah. Um, Rob, what do you what do you think about the difference between? Okinawans and Okinawan diaspora like um, is there is there some sort of like is there some sort of filter or is there some sort of like selection criteria for like who leaves and who stays is that material or well it's interesting because in the case of Okinawans um, it's very different from what you were just talking about with other um, Asian uh, migrants but because most Okinawans migrated due to poverty, um, poverty caused by the U.S. and or Japan, um, including um, most Okinawan Americans. Um, so um, when they migrated, they were almost always very poor. And then gradually they worked their way up um, America's social, uh, social ladders. Part of how they did that was through um, jobs with the U.S. government or with the U.S. military. So you can see why uh, a lot of Okinawan Americans are not going to uh, criticize uh, the U.S. military because the it power pers- of the paycheck. It exactly it personally benefits them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's hard to turn around, though, right? Like, do you? I mean, I guess that's, that's also the same case with Hollywood and the representation, like the representation type Asians. Yeah, I mean, they make the case. I mean, and it's hard to dismiss out of hand because, I mean, when it comes to this media rep thing, I mean, I am very supportive of the idea that Asian people should have a fair shake at becoming an actor if that's their dream, you know, or becoming a screenwriter or a director. They should have the same fair shot at that career as anyone else in America. I believe that. You know, yeah. so it's it, it's difficult sometimes to separate the the issue of like fair employment opportunities in a given field. Right. 
But then to also for me to look at that and say, okay, you know, we're making advances in that area, but how are we doing it? It seems like we're still doing a lot of yellow face bullshit. Well, you have to keep in mind that America is, was, is, and will continue to be um, a white supremacist society unless we see some major changes. And, um, you know, um, things like media, art, you know, movies, and these sorts of things, um, if you want to live like, um, yeah, okay, there's always independent art that's like the exception rather than the rule. But these things sort of exist to um, promote the dominant ideology, the ideology of the ruling class. So in our society, what is it? There's there's imperialism, there's capitalism, there's white supremacy, there's all this stuff. So it's like regardless of what your um what your own what your national background is on a personal level, it still has to be to a certain extent compatible with these things. And if it does challenge things like white supremacy, it has to do it in such a way that it doesn't really challenge imperialism. You know, it needs to be in a way that's like um. It's kind of like how um, the, Demo- the Democrats now are trying to give U.S. imperialism this sort of woke makeover. It's nauseating, dude. I'm watching it happen in real time and the way that they've completely shifted over to 20- this that Afghanistan war as this feminist crusade. Yeah, and can I continue? Um, yeah. It's, so it's Please, like it's a, with the with the with um with people with minorities in the U.S. They serve two roles depending on the needs of the ruling class. Um, and these sorts of things in representation. One is to be like just kind of more it's the more crude form of um the crude um propaganda which is like you know the yellow face that sort of oh kim like that like the the kim jong-un thing with um randall park you know that's i, I would say that's more of the um kind of the late like bush era early obama years type of um approach but now um with like with so-called with radical liberalism being more um more of the norm now now minorities are being used to give imperialism a more woke makeover and they're probably going to tone down them um, things like the sandra like the um the very blatant forms of racism but at the end of the day they're probably still going to be promoting um u.s imperialism u.s values like capitalism just with a yellow face and we see this trickle effect because um with half of the world's media owned by the u.s you know let's say taiwan for example i spend a lot of time there um have um, my music career there and um i feel more at home there than i do in the u.s um a, a lot of um pop culture nowadays especially after the 90s when um the um economy and politics fully liberalized like before it was still right-wing but it was more like a bonapartist regime under the leadership of um chiang kai-shek and then later jiang jingguo um <clears throat> a lot of the stuff is like you know like locally produced stuff in taiwan's a little bit more lower budget so people want you know people like to have like nicely produced things so a lot so that's like um with liberalization you have um nowadays you have like netflix and like hollywood and a lot of just flooding in like without any control and um because of this sort of um, kind of U.S. worshipping ideology that's been ingrained in people since the end of the Cold War, the goal for um, just, I guess, some of the, a lot of the more um, the mainstream liberal-minded people is um, success means leaving, um, first leaving like the um, the more, um, the countryside of Taiwan and going to Taipei. And the next level is going from Taipei to the West, to the U.S. So then they see um, these sorts of yellow face performances and then they look, oh, these people are um, like Asian Americans. They're like the ideal version of myself. And then they start internalizing this sort of racism and seeing themselves that way too. It's 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 sickening. Yeah, and, and that, that effect is specifically because they're seeing an Asian face doing it, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, I think we're we're starting. I mean, I personally, these are all per, like, you know, I can't tell what tell other Asian Americans what they should do, right? I mean, nobody, but I think I per, I'm starting to think about this myself, and I'm like, like before in the past, you know, an Asian. Let's let's just take media as an example because that's that's such a accessible example. But like, let's take an Asian American actor who takes a stereotypically racist role or something. Um, this is this this is what used to happen, right? Or still happens. And no one would ever fault the Asian actor for taking that role because it's like, look, man, hungry, hungry people got to eat. But now I think, you know, we need to start taking a little bit of like personal responsibility about that stuff, you know, because I just don't think that we can be complicit in this stuff. And then next thing, turn around and say, well, actually, I was a victim of it. No, you were a beneficiary of it because you took the role, you know, and I think that the same applies to Rob, you know, what you're talking about. I mean, like. I don't know. I think people should really talk about, think about, you know, do you actually want to go work or like, do you want to enlist in the military or do you actually want to work for the U S military? Because I feel like you should believe in, in it or, or you will have to believe in it if you're going to go do that. And that should require some level of introspection as to whether you really feel that way or not. Because if your only rationale for taking that job was, hey, you know, hungry people got to eat, um, it's a trap, don't you think? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the problem with Okinawan Americans, though, is that most of them have been in the U.S. for so long that they really have little to no connection to Okinawa. So even though they say they're Okinawan American, um, they don't know the language, the culture, the history, uh, the people, you know, they don't really know um, what it, what they really don't know much of anything about Okinawa. And so even though um, maybe some part of them sympathizes with the plight of Okinawans, um, when it comes down to it they're going to still choose their own personal well-being over um, the well-being of okinawa Uh, i think largely because they don't have that connection Uh, whereas you see a lot of other okinawans like um like in south america for example Um, a lot of okinawans in south america maintain very close connections to okinawa and so yeah, of course they're going to support um, or, or Okinawa, um, uh, and uh, of course, as you know, uh, South America they don't have a uh, any um, uh, conflict of interest, right? In in that, so they're not going to support the U.S. military because they're not uh, well U- United States Americans. Um, but uh, even for me personally, I have a multi-ethnic, multicultural background, um, I, uh, but. Because I, I and my family, we've maintained uh, very close connections to our family in Okinawa, our family, our friends, you know, our, our village, our, our neighbors. Um, uh, of course, I'm going to support Okinawa. There's, there was never any doubt about it in my mind. Uh, you know, I grew up in Okinawan culture and community. So it was only natural that I would absolutely um, support Okinawa and that uh, it, the thought of ever uh, supporting the U.S. military uh, 
occupation of Okinawa uh, never ha has never crossed my mind. So it, it comes down to that connection. Have you, let's take it, I want to even take it to one step further. Have you, have both of you ever noticed that when it came to Americans who understood the nature of the conflict uh, that where that found the American imperialists on one side, or just let's just call it America on one side, and what was going on around the world, not just in Asia, but around the world, uh, this conflict, that oftentimes it's actually like white people that are freer to see the reality of it and to talk about it in... Uh, I mean, they're obviously a tiny minority that are like this, but I find that a lot of times when it comes to Americans who um, speak up about it, it's almost like white people have more freedom to do that because I've found that um, Asian Americans have... They don't want to be seen as the bad guy. Yeah. The, the bad kind of Asian. Exactly, because we are... There's an extra late, like danger... I mean, anyone who goes out on that limb is going is taking a risk, especially now. But if you're not white, that risk is even greater. You know, yeah. so I've noticed this weird thing where a lot of people who speak up about it, like a Tim Shorrock, who we've had on and he's talked talked a lot about the, you know, the very um, the way that, for example, the U.S., um, sort of continued the policies of imperial Japan rather than really eradicated it and, and things like that. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's quite a thing to say for an American. And I don't really hear many Asian Americans talking that way. And in fact, when I hear about the most outspoken Asian Americans is someone like Gordon Chang, who's like straight up advocating nuclear war tomorrow Fuck before the chinks get out of hand. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so it's an extra layer of thing. And I guess I'm saying, I'm just bringing that up because I think for Asians, like we should think about that. Like, by the way, we, yeah. Does Gordon Chang even speak Chinese? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, not that I know. Phony. Of. If he did, he'd probably hide it. <laughs> I'm, but, a, I'm a cultured, yeah. I'm a cultured Chinese American. I'm not one <laughs> yeah. of those backwards chinks. Yeah. yeah exactly. It's terrible. You know, speaking with their ching chong, there's the fall of a civilization. <laughs> He's gone uh, full nuts. I mean, the guy is just a straight up clown now. Uh, but anyway, but yeah, Rob, you were saying? Yeah, I, I think you bring up an interesting point. I do have to clarify that there's a huge difference between Okinawans in Hawaii versus Okinawans in the continental United States. Um, just uh, there are major cultural and I guess social differences between the two sides. Uh, so in Hawaii, as you're probably aware, Asians are the majority population. Uh, white people are the minority. Um, so I find that Okinawans in Hawaii are, um, I guess they don't quite have to deal with the same issues that uh, Asians in the continental United States um, have to deal with in quite the same way in terms of trying to gain acceptance from directly uh, I guess social acceptance directly from from white people, I suppose, because in the continental U.S., uh, where white people are the majority, um, I, I suppose the typical Asian American um, has to interact with white people um, on a regular basis. And so um, I would imagine there's a lot of uh, direct social pressure, peer pressure um, to 
to be seen, like you say, as um, a quote, a, a good Asian and not one of the, you know, the quote bad ones. Whereas in Hawaii, we don't see that as often, I think. Um, but there's still that systemic pressure, right, coming from the powers that be, the U.S. government, the U.S. Mm. military, it, right? If they're getting their paycheck from these people, from these organizations, then, you know, they're still not going to um, criticize or they're not going to support Okinawa. Yeah, and also, I mean, beyond the racial makeup of Hawaii, there's also like, uh, if I, I, I don't know it too well, but it, it seems like there's also you know, a liberation movement or feeling in Hawaii where um, America is still seen as an occupier. Um, and, the, and the history suggests that that's probably a justified view of things, right? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's the Hawaiian independence movement, which has been going on for over a century, uh, very similar to Okinawa, actually. Uh, so Okinawans and Hawaiians have been working very closely together for many years. This is why we maintain our extension office in Honolulu, uh, the Peace for Okinawa Coalition, um, right, in order right. in order to work with Hawaiians. And when I say Hawaiian, uh, I'm referring to Hawaiian nationals. I'm not Hawaiian does not mean um, someone who lives in Hawaii. It doesn't mean someone mm -hmm. who was born in Hawaii. It means uh, Hawaiian national it's a it's a nationality um so there has been this hawaiian independence movement going on for a very long time it gets very little coverage um in the west because again it's you know it's going up against the the u.s military the u.s empire um so the the history and the the current situation between okinawa and hawaii is is very very similar so Okinawans and Hawaiians have been working together in our uh, shared goals um, quite closely. Yeah, I think uh, that's you're absolutely correct that it doesn't get much coverage here. I mean, the 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 scale and the duration of the protest in the protest movement in Okinawa about these bases. I mean, if you go, you can find the information. I mean, in America, we're still, you know, so far, we still remain, you know, a free speech society. So if you go and actively look for information about it, it's there. It's just that the way most people get their information and the way it filters through the media, I mean, there's almost no coverage of what's going on there. Even when there's like pretty sizable protests going on, that has major implications for the U.S., and there's just it's like a total blackout. Like there's just no coverage of it. Like I go to New York Times regularly and just scan the Asia. I, like you could go and just look for like you know click on World and then click on Asia Pacific. I never see anything about Okinawa. But this is like a major like I, I think if you list if you pay attention to like Military Times or some special thing that's focused on affairs that the military really cares about, they do talk about it. You know what I mean? So I feel like there definitely is uh, an intentional gap or missingness of attention paid to it. Specifically, like you said, so people, Asian American, uh, Okinawan Americans who, you know, can e more easily maintain this notion that, oh, I'm not really taking a side. I don't really want to weigh in on this. It's not really my fight. It's, you know, I'm not, a, uh, I'm a person that like, you know, I'm a lover, not a hater. You know, <laughs> So, yeah. 
it kind of reminds me, you know, um, how um, remember just um, what was it, July eleventh? Um, the media kept on just like blasting um coverage about the um the protests in Cuba that oh, turned God. out to actually be pretty small. Yeah, and that they was made it weird. seem. Yeah, no, they made it seem like oh, it, it was it was totally it was um it was total like color revolution bullshit. I mean, um, I I didn't think they thought they would be successful, but I feel like they were testing the waters. But anyways, um, notice how like um like protests in let's say um Brazil against Bolsonaro, who was um kind of a pro U.S. rightist and kind of like quasi fascist. Notice how protests against him just get like nearly zero coverage. It's. I mean, obviously. I mean, we should know by now that the media works in a way to steer the um the dominant narrative, mm-hmm. in a yeah, way and- that it seems like it's coming from the grassroots. Yeah, and even when Western media does cover Okinawa, it's almost always written by Japanese people or by by Americans, white Americans. Very rarely do you see anything published in Western media that's actually written by Okinawans about Okinawa. So uh, even the articles that do come out, a lot of them tend to be very uh, biased or misleading. They're only uh, telling uh, a portion of the story. They're not really capturing Okinawans' voices or opinions. So um, uh, Associated Press, for example, they're notorious for doing this. They have some um, Japanese uh, journalists working for them. So anything AP publishes about Okinawa is almost always written by these Japanese journalists and they have no understanding of Okinawa whatsoever. They've written uh, extremely offensive uh, headlines and articles about Okinawa that have infuriated uh, Okinawans. Um, they really don't understand the history, the culture or the people uh, uh, whatsoever. So this is another huge problem uh, uh, with Western media. Yeah, I mean, what you're doing, what you guys are doing, I think, online is important because, I mean, Rob, as an American, like, I don't have access to that, you know, in the media. I don't know what's, I mean, I, I have my feelings about it. I mean, I'm, I'm like, you know, naturally inclined to side with, uh, you know, side against the notion of American occupation of anywhere, right? But I did not know the extent to which um, Okinawans felt that Japan had also is also sort of like an, an occupier colonizer. I don't know if I'm, I'm saying that exactly right. Yeah, because, that, I mean, that's right. I, I, I actually knew about, you know, the, the American military there, but I did not know about this, this, um, this relationship, this antagonistic relationship with Japan. That was pretty eye-opening for me. To be honest, I didn't I didn't really know about that. So I think it is important to keep pushing these things online. I think people do need to learn it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Japan is the historic um, arch enemy of Okinawa or Luchu, um, and has been uh, for hundreds of years, at least four hundred years. Um, there's a lot of animosity there. So uh, I mean, Japan has has tried to take over. <laughs> Uh, many other countries in Asia as well, right? So if you understand the general sentiment uh, between Japanese and and Koreans and between Japanese and Chinese, uh, the same is true between uh, Japan and Okinawa. Um, 
uh, Luchu or Okinawa was a was an independent country, uh, a very uh, successful and prosperous independent country, a peaceful independent country. It's never declared war on another nation. Um, and then uh, Japan, uh, Ill- well, invaded and illegally annexed Luchu against the will of Luchuans in 1879. Uh, Luchu was the first of Japan's um, annexations. Of course, Japan would do the same shortly after to Taiwan, then Korea and China and uh, many other nations in the Asia Pacific. Um, after World War II, though, the other uh, uh, colonies of Japan's uh, regained their independence, right? But not Luchu. And because the U.S. military decided to keep Luchu for itself to use for military mm. bases. Uh, the right. U.S. The U.S. had a duty, a responsibility to restore Luchu's independence right then and there, 1945. As soon as the war was over, they should have restored independence, but they didn't because they were greedy and wanted to wanted the land to use for military bases. So, and um, um, Luchuans, of course, strongly protested uh, the U.S. military presence, and so finally, in 1972, the U.S. Uh, gave. Uh, Luchu or Okinawa back to Japan. And now uh, Luchu or Okinawa is under joint occupation by both the U.S. and Japan. Yeah, what strikes me as particularly uh, hypocritical about the way the U.S. media or the Western media uh, covers or fails to cover that is because like it puts on, and this is my problem with the liberal frame, right? Because I would be more, I would be much more, I don't even know what the word is. Like, I would be less frustrated with a media that was more just openly openly pro-imperialist, if that makes sense, where I understood the position and the goals and other people could clearly see what the, interests were of the way we talk about the world right but the liberal media doesn't do that it obfuscates that and if the they reason did that, that more people will be anti-imperialists what's that if they actually did that then a lot of people would be imperial anti-imperialists yeah because you would know you you could clearly tell what the what the confrontation is yeah but instead now like, you, you wouldn't get all the these bullshit. people pretending like oh i'm not taking a side you know? And now it's like if you see through the bullshit, people call you like a crazy tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. Yeah, it's all been obfuscated. And the reason it pisses me off is because just this brief dis- this description of, of Luchuan history, it makes me wonder, okay, why is there abs- – why do I know nothing about this? The reason I know nothing about this is because the media I consume doesn't tell me anything about it, mm-hmm. right? And the reason the media doesn't tell me anything about it is not because the media absolutely uh, you know, is not understanding of – of the of the of of the moral content or of the of the of the justice content of that story because when it comes to hong kong or when it comes to taiwan or it comes to tibet or it comes to xinjiang they understand that story very well and they'll amplify it because it supports the current the particular the the absolute instantaneous current interests of American empire 
So they will cover the shit out of well, even Uyghur then, identity. When, when, they, when they cover yeah. those things, though, they only tell you what is they, they only tell you the bits and pieces well, course, that are needed. Yeah. So then, so then yes. you you will come to a sort of conclusion that is um, beneficial for U.S. imperialism. Now, if now now that, that's why, like when I speak on Taiwan and cross-strait issues, I'll be like, okay, this is true, and this stuff does happen. And for example, like the uh, the majority of the youth are a little bit more like separatist leaning, but this is also like all of the events that led to this, and all the social engineering, and all of the events within the within the island, within the province, and then between like the like um this particular province and the rest of the, and, and the rest of China, like with the mainland, and like these sorts the, this sort of history, like what because of all of these different contradictions, why we are where we at where we're at today. Now, this is stuff that the media still won't won't be willing to like explain fully because if more people had that information then they might not come to the conclusions that I come to but then they'll be more willing to question the um the US imperialist narrative I think so too I think I think that this is liberals take on this sort of disembodied you know intellect from nowhere I mean that's their favorite thing to say I choose no side and it's like they, they cherry pick everything that they want to say and they just, for stuff that, that doesn't fit their, doesn't fit the, you know, ongoing narrative that's being approved of, uh, you know, by, you know, the gatekeepers to the media, it's like, it's like, it doesn't exist. Like if it's not in the media, I don't have to address it. I don't have to talk about it. It doesn't really mm-hmm. exist. It's this marginal thing. It's not really important. That's why it's not being I think there's an assumption that if it's not being covered, it's probably not very important. I mean, and it's not just Asia. I mean, you see this like going on with uh, all the protests, like you said, in Brazil, even in Europe, in France, you don't really hear much about what's going on there, even though they're like historic. Or it's like this. You know how like um Trump was always talking about like um illegal immigrants like um doing this and that and like, oh it's terrible, we need to build a wall, blah blah blah. They're they're bad people, they're 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 drug dealers or this or that what some i suppose are good people but um it's like what they don't tell you is why are so many um people coming up to the u.s how many people know that um the obama administration in 2009 destabilized honduras i mean was it really was it covered extensively was it covered as extensively as um as on the 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 phony the bullshit protests in cuba like and the thing is they will they will do uh they someone is in honduras covering right so or someone is near there paying attention to it they will cable a story about it if you go back it will be mentioned somewhere but it's totally buried it's totally hidden it doesn't get amplified it doesn't get amplified yeah i mean it's hard to say that they just totally ignored it but it just for all intents and purposes it was not put out there for people to actually notice yeah yeah you know so yeah Anyway, um, yeah, no, I think there's there's a lot here. Like, I I, I think, and I, I I wanted to. I'm glad we t- we talked about what we did. I I want to talk about at some point in the future. I don't know if you guys are interested in doing this or whatever, but um, yeah, maybe I want to talk a little bit more specifically about uh, like what with about Okinawa and that specific history, just because it is such a big part, a big piece of the American empire and we get almost no coverage about it, you know? And the more I read it, like the more it's horrifying. Like some of the shit that happens there is fucking horrifying. Like jet, am I getting this right? Like fucking pieces of jet, like jets, like just crashing into schools. Yeah, absolutely. Fucking rapes and murders and the shit that they say about it. I remember this one story that I found again, 
the information is there. If you want to find it, I mean, it's still a free speech society, like I said. They can't actually make news disappear. You can find it if you want. Um, but you have to kind of, you know, search for it. But I, there was this one case where I believe it was um, the rape and murder of a young girl. And the, they were talking to, like, one of the American generals there that was responsible for the base, I guess. And he was like, you know, it's very regretful. I mean, if they had just, if these people, if our people had just gone out and, you know, used prostitutes, you know, like they, like normal people, this would have never happened. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, this, this guy said that in public to a fucking reporter. Like, this is insane. Like, this is fucking insane, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, no, it's such a big part of the american presence in asia she's never gets you know it's like it's like the fat leonard scandal i don't know if either of you guys are aware of the fat leonard scandal with the seventh fleet and how these like admirals were like selling um they were being bribed with like cash and prostitutes and drugs and shit um at every port of call where their ships would go and get refueled and they'd get a little bit r&r or whatever and there was a malaysian guy who had just been bribing them for like thousands of dollars it wasn't even a lot of money and these admirals would basically just go ahead and tell them all of the sort of classified future movements of the fleet and say oh yeah yeah we're going to do this exercise and then we're going to need to go get refueled in this port of call and then the fat leonard guy would be like oh okay then i'll make sure that my you know that i've got tankers pulled up so he could win the business and he all of this was just done through just like a few thousand bucks it wasn't even that much money you know, and it was this huge scandal that totally, uh, you know, over there was a big story. Within the military was a big story. But the American public, as far as I know, didn't even get a, a whisper about it. You know what I mean? Um, it's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that up. Just, mm-hmm. Well, in Okinawa, there are protests going on every day, uh, every single oh, day man. against the U.S. and uh, Japan militaries. Um, but of course you just don't hear that in, in, uh, Western media every once in a while, when we have a, a, a large protest, like a hundred thousand or so, then, um, the Western media will usually do, um, some type of story on it because at that point, you know, it's too large for them, even them to ignore. Uh, but again, it goes back to what I said earlier. Uh, it's the way they tell the story because it's almost always written by uh, Americans or Japanese and not by Okinawans, um, mm-hmm. they leave out a lot of important information and it's very biased uh, most of the time. So um, a lot of the articles you see out there, uh, they, they do contain a lot of misinformation or misleading information, including articles um, about me uh, that contain uh, misinformation. Uh, oh really? So, yeah, wow. uh, quite a few. Oh, like when they call you Okinawan American? <laughs> yeah. So they, um, well, <clears throat> um, uh, I so uh, in December 2018, I started a petition to stop the illegal construction of the new military base at Hinoko, Okinawa. The petition went viral. Um, uh, so I was covered in a lot of media um, uh, around that time. And uh, I referred to myself as uh, as Okinawan Hawaiian. I, I'm both I'm I'm both Okinawan and I'm also 
a Hawaiian national. So I'm from Okinawan and Hawaiian. Uh, but they, a lot of media, they, uh, I don't know if it was ignorance or, or whatnot, um, but they, they really misconstrued that. Uh, a lot of the media called me an Okinawan American. They called me, some called me a Hawaiian. They didn't even call me Okinawan at all. They called me Hawaiian. Um, others called me, they, they called me all sorts of things. They called me a Japanese American. Uh, they called me uh, uh, just uh, one, one in particular called me an Okinawan living in Hawaii. No, an Okinawan American living in Hawaii, even though I was in um, Oki, Okinawa. Um, um, uh, this was before I started grad school at uh, University of Hawaii. And so, um, you know, just things like that, uh, just really misrepresenting or misleading, uh, misleading information, not only about me, but about Okinawa in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, sorry, I, we're, we're probably we're probably we should probably wrap it up now because we're like you know a little past the hour mark. But um, hope hope we can continue this like uh, in the future. But I'm, I'm curious if you ever saw the movie Isle of Dogs. Do you know that movie, uh, Rob? It's a it's an American film by Wes Anderson. It was the like it was like a sort of claymation of these dogs in Japan. Have you ever heard of this movie? No, I'm sorry. It's a very interesting movie. It was, it was this movie where I think this is an example of how like Americans have no clue about anything that's going on uh, in Okinawa. But it was this movie by Wes Anderson. He's an American filmmaker. And it's about a bunch of dogs uh, in this like uh, made up fictional island in Japan. And uh, there is a military base there. And they want, or there's a, it's not really a military base. It's a, it's a bunch of dogs, but they all wear military tags and they're military dogs. And they want to uh, remove the dogs from this island. And it, it, you should see this movie just because it's pretty fucked up. I think it's a, it's a pretty sophisticated piece of American propaganda that was at a time when, you know, there was a lot of like high level exchange of artistic and cultural exchange going on between the US and Japan under, you know, Obama and, you know, when, uh, you know, Kennedy was the, um, uh, was he, what's her, Caroline Kennedy was the ambassador and stuff. And it was just this, it was just a really interesting, weird movie that was pushing the idea that Americans are these loyal, indispensable servant dogs keeping the Japanese safe and that the, the Japanese had grown tired of these dogs because they had been passing around some sort of like, you know, fleas and ticks or whatever. And they want to get rid of these dogs. Um, and there was this sort of like ultra right wing politician that was advocating that the Japanese remilitarize and get rid of these dogs. And I was like watching this and I was like, this is so clearly about this issue of the, you know, the U S pres the U S military uh, occupation of Okinawa and sort of trying to throw some justifying narratives around it and re-raising some historical tropes about what the U.S. is really doing in Japan, right? We're like keeping them safe or whatever. And nobody in the United States, not a single critic, nobody who viewed the, the movie 
had any idea what it was about. Like, everyone was like, this is a bizarre movie. It's seemingly to say something about Trump, but then it's set in Japan for some fucking weird reason. Like, I don't understand it. And they and they tore the movie apart. It's not. I'm not saying it's a great movie, but I'm just saying that the level of the lack of awareness was such that what I thought was a very, like, you know, it was a very on-the-nose allegory for what's going on in Okinawa. Nobody in the United States, not even, like, you know, The New Yorker or, you know, any of these, like, sort of worldly liberal rags that were reviewing the movie ever connected it to Okinawa. I just thought that was very interesting. Yeah, unfortunately, that's often the case. Um, uh, thanks for that movie recommendation. I will check it out. But yeah, but check yeah. it out. I'm curious what you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because um, like you said, that most Americans know nothing about Okinawa. They have no idea where it is. Uh, they might have heard of it before because of the U.S. military presence, but other than that, they they know nothing about it. They also know nothing about that the history and the animosity that exists between Okinawans and Japanese. Uh, Japan purposely wants the majority of the military presence to be in Okinawa, not in mainland Japan. They do that because right. of the prejudice, um, uh, the J Japan's prejudice towards Okinawans. And I mean, we could talk all day about, about prejudice between, uh, you know, uh, the Japanese and, and but um, but yeah so so the U.S. and Japan they purposely want uh, this is why they made that agreement in 1972 uh, where the U.S. gave Lu Chu or Okinawa to Japan because now neither side is accountable for for the human rights violations for uh, the oppression that is occurring in Okinawa because when mm. Okinawa, when Okinawans complain, the U S they just say, Oh, uh, this is Japan's fault. Go, go talk to Japan. And then Japan says, Oh, this is the U S's fault. Go talk to the U S. So they pass the buck back and forth between each other and neither side is accountable. So this right. is how, um, for several decades now, they've been able to get away with their crimes in Luchu. There's no accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really appreciate the uh, uh, talking to you about that and uh, showing you as well. It's been uh, it's been it's, it's all it's good as always to have you both on. Um, any any Shang, you have any any closing thoughts? Any anything you want to share or? Not really. Um, I learned a lot just by um, listening to you and Rob talk about um, Okinawa. So I'm pretty content. Great, great. All right, guys. Um, really appreciate talking to you all. Um, so that's your uh, escaping plan A for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with another free episode. Uh, thanks for listening, y'all. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Mm -hmm.